Well, it's been a couple weeks since I've been up here. On uh, Wednesday night, I went down to the uh, Awana room real quick and, and talked to Ken Hazelton because he was really concerned that I was going to get how to preach. And uh, so thankfully, he gave me some wisdom, and I think we're going to be okay today. So thank you, Ken. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Ken and I have fun picking on each other. Uh, I don't know who does more. Who does more, Ken, you or me? <laughs> Nancy said Ken does more, so. Uh, last week we had the privilege of having uh, Terry Smith here, and he's uh, Vice President of Church Ministries with the Alliance, and so if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and watch that. It was a great, great sermon that he gave last week on the Holy Spirit and uh, sanctification, and uh, just encourage you to go check that out. Two weeks ago, Pastor Terry did a great job with the conversation of Nicodemus, just looking at really the comparing, contrasting the week before when we looked at the Samaritan woman at the well, and just the 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 vast difference between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman at the well and, and how Jesus had these conversations with both of them. We're continuing in our series, uh, Compassionate Interactions. And uh, this week we're with the lawyer and uh, in Luke chapter 10. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to read that. Uh, probably at the top of your heading for that, you see the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to talk about that, but this really isn't about the parable, it's about the lawyer and Jesus' interactions with, with the lawyer. So, um, who's ever had a good conversation with, with God? Can you remember your best conversation with God? Uh, I, I've, I've had some good ones. I've had some good ones. One that, as I was processing this and, and praying over today and everything, one that I was reminded of. Uh, in 2009, uh, we'd stepped away from uh, the, our church in, in Winston-Salem and uh, was really seeking God as far as what his next direction for us was. And so we had stepped away at the end of 2009, did the whole Christmas, New Year's thing. And so it was beginning of 2010. And we were in Buford, down where Jessica's parents were, we were living with Jessica's parents in that time and saying, okay, God, what's next? And uh, was looking for jobs. Jessica was coaching gymnastics because that's what she does. And basically anywhere we go, as soon as she tells the gymnastics people that she's looking for a job, she gets hired. And so that worked out easy. Um, she's good at what she does. Uh, mine was a little bit more complicated, and so I'd begun looking for different things and went on the YMCA national website because I'd done YMCA work and to see what was there. And there was a sports director position opening up in Moultrie, Georgia. Anyone ever been to Moultrie? Uh, if you don't know where Moultrie is, it's right in the middle of hot. Um, <laughs> It's the best place to describe it. Uh, I used to think that Power Time Camp over in South Carolina was in the middle of hot, and then I went to Moultrie, and I was wrong. Power Time Camp is, is almost like resort feeling compared to Moultrie. Uh, Moultrie's just hot. Uh, if you think we have gnats bad here, I'm going to tell you this. You're wrong because you've never been to Moultrie. Um, Moultrie's an hour north of Tallahassee, and it's hot, and the gnats live there. Maybe the gnats are from there. I don't know. But they are just everywhere. As a sports director, I, I changed clothes and showered three times a day uh, in January because it was so hot. Uh, no. In January, you got to wear long sleeves of a very thin nature for about a month. And uh, then you went back to your short sleeves and shorts. Uh, it was very, very... The people in Moultrie are great. I love the people in Moultrie. 
I never want to live there. Anyway, um, now I'm off subject. Um, so I'm looking on the, on the laptop, and there's Moultrie. And I said, there's Moultrie. And I shut my computer and went and watched a soccer game. About two years before, I was talking to Steve Scarrow up at Men's Retreat up here in Asheville. Steve Scarrow is the pastor of the Alliance Church there in Moultrie. And he had asked me, when are you going to come be my youth guy? And I said, Steve, I'm never moving to Moultrie. Um, anyone ever said they're never going to do something? I think God just sits in heaven waiting for us to say those things sometimes. He has a sense of humor. Uh, because as I was sitting watching that soccer game, I felt the Lord say, um, go turn your resume in for Moultrie. And I said, Lord, I don't want to go to Moultrie. And uh, watching the game, and he says, go turn your resume in for Moultrie. I said, God, I don't want to live in Moultrie. And he says, that's the position that I have for you. I said, I don't want to live in Moultrie. And I watched the game, and I got up, and I went in and opened the laptop and sent in my resume. Less than 48 hours, I was on a phone interview with uh, the program director there. Uh, and less than 40 hours from then, I was in Moultrie doing an in-person interview. There were four other guys there at the same time interviewing for the same position. And there were hundreds that had um, sent their resume in, and, and they had interviewed a bunch of folks too. And in less than 48 hours from the interview, I was moving to Moultrie. And it just happened so fast that it was just obvious that God was moving. And uh, was doing something. Uh, I told Jessica about it when she got home that I'd sent my resume into Moultrie. She says, I don't want to live in Moultrie. Um, <laughs> the, the YMCA was three blocks, two blocks, three blocks from the Alliance Church where Steve and Andrea Scarrow were serving and Jessica knew them. They'd helped, helped with middle school youth group when they were students here at TFC. And Jessica had them as youth leaders when she was a student middle schooler here. And so they had a great relationship. And so we plugged in with the youth there, and Jessica plugged in with the worship, and uh, it, it was a good time. But I'll never forget that conversation. I'll never forget that conversation. And so I say that because we should be having conversations like this with God, and we should feel free to say, God, I don't want to live in Moultrie, uh, because he accepts those kind of conversations. And I think that's what we're going to see today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to stand. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, starting there in verse 25. And uh, as you stand in honor of God's word, I'm going to read 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man in his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, we thank you for this recording of history and this opportunity that we have today to look at it. I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, that uh, we would hear your words today, that our hearts would be open to receive what you're saying to us, and then also that we would be bold to go out and do and be who you call us to be. Thank you, Jesus. This in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here we have Jesus um, and, and this lawyer. They're sitting here. They're talking. And the lawyer asks Jesus a question. And he's asking the question because he's trying to catch Jesus. He's trying to catch Jesus into a law-breaking type situation so he can get him. And we're going to get him because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to get Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, when I think about this story, I was talking with Jack this morning, uh, Jack, uh, our, our vice chair with the elders, and he says he always assumes this is a young guy, the young lawyer. He says, I don't know why. He says, maybe because I think the, the rich young ruler, we don't know how old this guy is. We would assume that, I mean, he very well could be like the same age as Jesus. Uh, I think at least he's going to be at least 30 years old, I think, from as being a little bit older. But he asked this question of Jesus, and Jesus, being as smart as he is, right? He's smart. He answers the question with a question. Who loves when our parents or teachers did that as a kid? You remember that? I hated it. I hated it. I asked you a question. I would like the answer to that question. But Jesus asks him a question. Now, when, whenever I got asked, whenever I asked a question and then they asked me a question, I would try to be quick and then ask another question. Okay, ball back in your court, right? This guy falls for it, though, and gives the answer. He gives the answer. And Jesus commends him and says, you're right. That's the right answer. Go and be the same way. When you look at the story, you're probably thinking, well, how is this a compassionate interaction? Uh, we see how Jesus treats <laughs> the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the experts in the law. I mean, if you just turn to the next chapter, chapter 11, uh, my, my heading here is woe on the Pharisees and the experts in the law. And it then proceeds Jesus now. Uh, verse 39, the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people! Exclamation point. Does yours have an exclamation point? Mine has an exclamation You foolish people! He's not like, you foolish people. Although he could be thinking that. You foolish people. But it's an exclamation point. I mean, he, he's coming down on verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. 43. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing. You know, on and on and on he goes. If you flip over to Matthew uh, chapter 23, same thing. The heading that I have here is seven woes to the Pharisees, teachers of the law. 
Verse 13 in chapter 23. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Exclamation point. 15. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you have made them twice as much a child of hell as you are. That's compassionate interaction right there, huh? No, he's hard on them. He's tough on them. He says some difficult things. That's being nice about it. But here he has, in this section, with this guy, he's talking to him. He says, here you go, here's some truth. Why don't you go live this out? He's giving him a chance. He's interacting. He's not being harsh on him. The lawyer asks another question, and of course, the lawyer still, he's trying to, well, wait a minute, don't talk hard. You know, I, I'm, I'm a good guy. Let me, who's my neighbor? He, he says, I'm going to ask another question, and this time, Jesus still doesn't answer the question. Just answer the question, please. He tells him a story. So let me tell you this story. We call it the parable. We know the parable. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, I, I think uh, this parable has everything that the lawyer would have disliked. Okay? Everything would have been kind of a smack in the face to this lawyer. All right? So the story, this parable. Uh, first, uh, it's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a rough rocky 21-mile road that would be traveling. This, this, this lawyer would have known this road well. It's not a simple, easy road. It's a rough, rocky, hilly road. It was known for robbers and thieves, and it would have been traveled quite a bit by experts in the law, by priests, by Levites, because over 12,000 priests and Levites lived in Jericho and they would need to come to Jerusalem to do their work. So there's a lot of them there and a lot of them would have traveled this road and this guy probably would have traveled this road and so he would have known this road and he would have known that Levites and priests travel this road. And so he's being called out in a sense by Jesus. The second thing that happens is this guy gets beat up but now he's been left as what? Half dead. What does half dead look like? I mean, there's just a scene from a movie. He's just merely dead. Um, that just pops into my mind. But he, he's half dead. What is you? Are you sitting up when you're half dead? You're, you're probably, he probably looked dead. Okay? So we hear the story and the Levite and the priest, well, they just go by on the other side. Well, what's their problem? This guy's half dead. Why would they go help him? Well, because of their tradition, because of the law and what the law says. If they get over there and find that he actually is dead, what have they done? What's that? They're ceremonially unclean. That's a hard word to say. Ceremonially unclean. Okay? They're unclean. If they get over there and he's just not dead and he's fine and alive, then they can help. But we're not sure because he looks half dead to me. So I have to stay away because if I go over there and he is dead, now I'm ceremonially unclean because Leviticus tells us that you can be around a dead body if it's a close relative, but anyone else, you are unclean. If they are unclean, 
The way they become clean is they have to separate themselves out for seven days and then wash before they come back. So if they're walking along, they see this half-dead guy. If they get over there and he is dead, they're out of it for the next week. Anyone had COVID tracing, had to be out of it for the past, for a week or 10 days? How interruptive is that? And they didn't have Zoom, you know. So they, they, he... He would have been out of it. So, I mean, you're thinking, these guys, okay. Are they thinking about the guy or are they thinking about themselves? That's a lot of hassle. Out for a whole week. Who would risk this man actually being dead and being out of it for a week? I don't, you don't blame them. Third thing that really stood out is that the man is a Samaritan. And we, we've covered this a few weeks ago when we talked about the Samaritan. Not real followers of God. Not God's people. They thought they were, but they really weren't. It's fine for him to go touch a dead body because he's already ceremonially unclean. Not a big deal. But the fact that he would help and risk anything just shows how bad he, you know, how he wasn't really part of God. At the end of the story, Jesus asked another question, which again, to me, you know, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Lawyer gives the right answer again. Gives the right answer. Gives the right answer. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Jesus encourages him to go and live that same way. Live as a neighbor. This is what it means. This is what it looks like. So we ask the question, who is this lawyer? Um, when we talk about this lawyer, not the definition, same definition we think of as a lawyer today, uh, someone who defends the law of our land, yes, but this one talking specifically uh, about being an expert in the Jewish law, the religious law, maybe a better word to use here instead of lawyer is doctor of theology. Do we know any of those people? Any doctors of theology in our midst today? Uh, th that's who we need to think of. So if you know a doctor of theology, that's who we need to think of. That's, that's who this guy was, okay? Doctor of theology. Um, this, is, this is one of the guys that Jesus would have been talking to at the temple at age 12 that were amazed at his knowledge and wisdom. Uh, these were the teachers of the young Jewish boys. When they started school and they started learning, these are the guys that were teaching them and doing this. Uh, these are the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's, that's the groups that, they, that these experts in the law that, that would have been a part of, the Pharisees and Sadducees. I read a whole bunch about that. Some believe that this one in particular was probably a Pharisee by, because of how he asked some of the questions, says, I, I, I don't see it here. He's just an expert in the law. But that's what some of them say. Um, you know, so this guy was all about knowing the law. He was all about interpreting the law. He was all about enacting the law. He was all about it. I would say he was probably all about the law and not about God. Not about God. Jesus knows this. Jesus builds a conversation with this guy and encourages conversation. First thing I really see in this is that Jesus asks questions. Jesus asks questions and he allows the lawyer to respond. He asks questions. Jesus asks a lot of questions. 
It's a really cool study to go in and look at the questions that Jesus asks in Scripture and to look at those questions. A um, few, uh, few of our national youth pastors ago, Jason Ostrander, he wrote a book, a little book. You can get it on Amazon for like $4.50, 99 Questions That Jesus Asked. It's a cool little book. Um, and it just pulls all of those out and has a short thing about it. But have you ever stopped? I mean, we see three of those questions here in this text. Jesus asked a lot of questions. And uh, he encouraged interactions and conversation. When I was in youth ministry, I used the acronym FRIES to try to get youth to talk to me. You know, you ever tried to talk to students? Anyone got kids? How was school today? Fine. What'd you eat for lunch? Food. How was it? Good. How was it? Bad. There, there's, you got to, you keep, you getting one word answers, you know. You got you to try to ask questions that are going to allow for more than just a one word answer. So with youth, I would use an acronym FRIES. One, because I like FRIES. Um, but FRIES, it helped me remember. Ask about their family. Ask about their relationship. Uh, ask about their interests. Ask about their extracurricular activities. Ask about school. You know, and so, man, if I were to ask about those five things, I could have a conversation with the student. It didn't matter what they were doing, who they were, what their back, what their interests, man, I could ask about those five things, and they would talk. Jesus encourages conversations. That's one thing I enjoy doing. I think you could do the same thing with adults, right? Family, relationship, interests, um, I don't know, extracurricular. What do you do after work? I don't know. Uh, what are you studying right now? I don't know. You can do the same thing. Questions build trust. Questions are healthy. If you get a question for me, come ask me. I, I like questions are good. They, they initiate conversation. They allow interaction. It's good to have. When I think about questions and I think about the Old Testament, I, I, one story I think of that, man, I really enjoy is, is when God tells Abraham that he's going uh, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. When he said, you, you know where I'm at? Okay, I, I love this story. What's Abraham say? What's Abraham say? Hey, um, Lord, what, what if there's 50 people there that are righteous? What, what, if, what if there's 50 people? Will you still destroy it if there's 50 people that are righteous? And God says, you know what? Okay, we can do this. We can do this. Okay, Abraham, if there are 50 people there that are righteous, I won't, I won't destroy it. I love this conversation. I, I believe this is what God wants us to do. And, and then Abraham, how's he respond? He says, you know, Lord, if I could just be so bold, what if, what if there's only 45? What if, what if we only find 45 that are righteous? What does God say? Oh, okay, okay, Abraham. I, I'm good with that, 45. This keeps going. Back and forth, down by five, down by... All the way to, Lord, Lord, what if there's only 10? What if we can only find 10 that are righteous? What, what's God say? Sure. If we, if, sure. If there's only 10, if there's only 10, I'll spare it. I love this conversation. Do we have conversations like this with God? God, I don't want to move to Moultrie. Oh, wait, did I say that? <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. Um, I look back now and I know exactly why we moved to Moultrie. And I wouldn't give it up. I wouldn't give it up. Do we have conversations like this with God? I, I think it's right here in Scripture. I think, I think that we're encouraged to. 
We know how it finishes. They couldn't find the righteous people and it got destroyed. But the conversation that takes place, I don't think that the American church has always been a good place for questions to be asked. And I think we need to be more accepting and allow that. Second thing that I see in all of this is, is that Jesus allows the lawyer to process what's going on. Now, he speaks truth. You know, truth is spoken, and he allows them to figure out what he's saying, and he, and he gives the answer. But then he challenges him and says, go and do the same. But he doesn't say, are you going to go do the same? Are you going to live this way? He's letting, he leaves room for processing. He leaves room for the, the lawyer to think about what's being said. I, I, I think by, he doesn't demand an answer. Are you going to do this? Are you going to live this way? He just says, hey, go live this way. I, I would think that this, I don't know, we don't know this, but I would think that that might have caused him to be a little bit like, well, what else does he have to say? Well, maybe next time he's around, maybe, well, what's he saying about this? Go live this way? Maybe he was drawing him in. We don't know what actually happened to this guy. We don't know if he became a follower of Jesus or not. But I think that it just, it left room for him to process. It left room for the Holy Spirit to work. It wasn't like 17 uh, choruses of just as I am. After the fifth one, we're going to sing it one more time. You better make that decision now. We sing it 12 more times. Anyone ever experienced that? He, he, he let it just go. He left it right there and let him process it. I, I don't know that we've done this enough as an American church. If you flip over just a few more pages, we get to chapter 14, and it talks about considering the cost of being a disciple. Do we present to people the cost of being a disciple and allow them to process that? And what's that mean? I mean, there it's talking about the builder that's going to go and build the building. And before he goes and builds the building, isn't he going to look to see what material he needs and how much it's going to cost? And is it worth doing this? The king who's going to go off to war. Does he have the right size army? What army is he going to be facing? Do, should I really do this? Is it worth it? Maybe I should just send a representative and let them work things out for me. They consider the cost of being a disciple. Do we let people consider the cost? Do we give them the information they need and allow the Holy Spirit to work to consider the cost of being a disciple? Maybe they say, this sounds good, but man, I'm just not ready for this. We're like, no, you need to answer this now. Isn't that how we normally do things? Jesus allows him to process. Do we trust the Holy Spirit enough that he's in conversation with the hearts of people that we don't need an answer right now? That's what I see here. That's what I see here. So I, I, we're, we're going to wrap this up. And, and, and just I want you to just think about these things. One, what, what questions do you have of God that you haven't asked? For whatever reason. You're scared to? Abraham, maybe that's the approach. Hey, Lord, may I be so bold like Abraham was and ask this question? Maybe it's a question you just want to ask between you and God. Maybe it's a question that you might want to ask the church or the leadership. Maybe it's a question you get with your discipling community and say, I got some questions. Can we battle this around and talk about this? I, don't, I, don't, I think it's, it's healthy to ask questions and we need to do it. 
But then we also need to leave space for people that are asking questions and let the Holy Spirit, hey, let, I don't know the answer to that, but let's pray about that together. Or this has been my experience. Or, you know, when I look at Scripture, this is what it says. And we pray for them. And let the Holy Spirit do the work. We're, we're going to watch a video. And it's a video of some kids. And they're asked the question, what, what's some questions you want to ask God? It's fun. It starts out fun. It's really cool, the, the progression that it takes. It starts a little silly and fun. Um, but then Pastor Chris is going to come and kind of just give us some time. Maybe we have questions. Maybe we know someone that's asking questions we could be praying for. Let's watch this video. So we're just asking a bunch of different kids, if you got to meet God face to face, what questions would you ask him? Mm. Why did God make me so good at football? Where would he sleep every night? How were the planets formed? How do you make the clouds? Why do I have hair? Why do we have hair? Is there sharks in heaven? Why is hippo so fat? Does Jesus and God ever get weepy? Why can't I just play sports all day? What's your mom's name? If he lives with anyone? Why do armpits smell? <laughs> Why do we have brain freeze when we eat, um, when we drink th cold things too fast? How much Christmases has you been alive? Why do we have to read so much at school? Why does my family have to be so loud? Why are cheetahs so fast? Why are cheetahs so fast? Why do brothers and sisters fight a lot? What did the world used to look like once there was nothing there? How old is he? How old is God? Why can't we have world peace? If I could see the past when Jesus was on earth. Where did he come from? Why did he name a Jesus Jesus? How long did you live on earth? What was your favorite part of your life? I would ask him if he could remove sin from all of the earth. Can you make people nice to each other? Where were you before heaven was made? How was God made? How was Satan created? If I can learn more about him. Why were we made with sin? How is there no beginning or no end to God? Does everyone go to heaven? What is it like in heaven with you? When is Jesus coming back? Why is your heart so big? And I think that's all. 